Hey, hi. Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest for this episode is Semi Chellis, a writer and producer whose credits include the feature films The Life Before This, Picture Claire, and Ophelia, and the television series Bury the Lead, The Romanoffs, and Snowpiercer. Her work on The Eleventh Hour scored three Gemini Awards, and she earned six Emmy nominations for her work on Mad Men. Her feature directorial debut, American Woman, starring Sarah Gadden and Hong Chow, arrives on digital and on demand today from Elevation Pictures. Semi picked The Rider, Chloe Zhao's 2017 hybrid drama about a young South Dakota horseman trying to resume his old life after a catastrophic head injury. And the character of Brady Blackburn is played by Brady Jandro, who really is a young South Dakota horseman and really did sustain a devastating head injury that derailed his career. Blackburn's father and sister are played by Brady's actual father and sister, which further blurs the line between drama and reality, and as you'll hear, made it kind of difficult for me to connect to the film as fully as Semi did. But we'll work through it. This is someone else's movie. I guess it's just a movie that had a profound effect on me when I saw it. It's a movie I've gone back to a couple of times and that I I both sort of aspire to filmmaking like that, but also it seems completely impossible, right? It seems like so specific to that movie. Um, and it just, and so I also, uh, um, I had seen it before this, but I was hit by a car last year and suffered a head injury. Oh, God. And, um, and it brought me back to that movie after having my own head injury, which is not as bad as Brady's in the movie, but um, but definitely threw me into that very uh, existential crisis about how I would continue my work and, and continue my life, but also made me loopy in the way that a head injury gets. Yeah. So yeah. it was on my mind, and I think it's a beautiful movie, and, uh, and, um, and not enough people have seen it, so I, it, it sprang to mind. It's a. I mean, I'm glad you chose it. It's. Uh, I didn't realize there was quite so much uh, relevance to your own situation. But you're you're okay. You've recovered. Yeah, I've recovered, and um, I was. Uh, I actually, American Woman, my movie premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival, and I was hit by a car the night before the oh premiere <laughs> in New York. I mean, I'm laughing, but it was you know after after years of work on this thing, and then leading all up to this moment of first getting to share it with the world, and then um, and then being completely blindsided. I was on a crosswalk on the light, and a car just flew through the light and hit me. Um, <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> so that's Jeez. why, I mean, but you know, that, that it's such a perfect movie that I want to talk about it all the time. And as I said, so many people have uh, celebrated it. And I saw actually that it was one of Obama's favorite movies of all time, apparently, President Obama. Um, but I still talk about it to <laughs> everyone that I can, you know, buttonhole because not enough people have seen it. It's true, uh, and I I have to admit I was not a big fan of it. I, I liked it, but I'm always concerned that in these uh, in, in in films shot with non professional actors, which require them to confront their own lives, their own injuries, their own shortcomings. Like Soderbergh does it in Bubble. It's it's not new to the writer, but but. Chloe Zhao does it very, very specifically with this and with songs my brother taught me. Um, she uses non-actors as themselves to illuminate their stories. But the writer made me really uneasy. Um, in its second half, it just felt like someone was 
creating a kind of an involuntary therapy for these people and, and forcing them to reenact their own issues. And I, it, I, I got pulled out of the movie. I was distracted from the story by my concerns about consent, which is weird because clearly everybody's on board. <laughs> well, it's, but, that's very interesting for two reasons. But when it's the first time I saw it, I didn't know that it was made in the way it was. Uh-huh, and okay. I, um, I'm a huge fan of Deborah Granick. She, that was I was almost picked Winter's Bone, which is another movie I love, which folds in uh, non-actors with Jennifer Lawrence in her sort of acting debut. I guess in the process of becoming yeah, yeah. the actress that she became. But when I saw the writer the first time, I I I couldn't I couldn't get my mind around how they were doing it with the breaking the horse or whatever. It seemed like this magic trick that actually, when I found out what it was and watched it again, I was like, oh, of course, like you couldn't you couldn't do it fictionally. It's really interesting because the the um, the qualms that you're expressing, I really had with a book I just read called Three Women. You read that okay. today's book, no, um, no. which is a work of you know novelistic journalism, and I had exactly what you were describing, which is just a squeamishness that blocked me from embracing the characters and embracing the story. But with the writer, I never had it, and it's interesting. I just don't. I mean, I I think that that it's got a kind of. Um, there's an empathy at the core of the movie to me that, it, for me, it's a movie about empathy. And, you know, his, when you watch Brady, the main character, when you watch him break horses, which, you know, right there is a problematic idea, right? You're sure, breaking yeah. wild horses and the whole point is to mount them and ride them. And, and uh, but when you see him do it and you actually see it play out in the movie, the way that he connects with the characters and the sort of quiet respect that he gives them. And, and for me, that infused the filmmaking in some way. But again, it's problematic for sure. And that's what's a little bit exciting about it too. I mean, the whole world of that rodeo culture is very problematic at some level. I grew up in Calgary going to the Stampede Lake. Sure. Um, you know, when I was little, and even when I was little, I was like, mm, this does not seem right. Um, but uh, but yeah, that yeah, there's it, something, the, the, and the discomfort yeah, of that in the movie is part of what I like about it. Weirdly, is that it gets too close to yeah. the bone yeah. somehow. There is the sense that we're seeing something vestigial, um, both in the culture of 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 the rodeo and also in Brady's kind of interaction with his past self. That's the thing that I, I'm fascinated by and that I cannot imagine he could have been comfortable with. That's That was the thing that pulled at me constantly. It's like, the whole movie is about someone who's coping with the, the reality that he can't be the person he was and that his, his presence, his persona, all have to be completely, not rebuilt, but reevaluated. They've already, you know, he's already lost himself. And so we're watching him go through these motions of kind of muscle memory that that he can't really control anymore. His speech isn't under his full command. His body doesn't want to do what he wants it to do. And he's still going forward in a at a pace that no one else can keep up with or, or rather that he can't keep up with anyone else's pace. And, and it just it, it's tragic. It's deeply, deeply tragic. And this this sort of lament for 
his lost self just I don't know. I, I again, I I I watched it a second time and I was really able to sort of put my own reservations aside and just watch what's happening. But it still feels like if there's any direction, it's got to be just intuitive. She's just following him. Well, though, I I would say that's part of what I like about it and that's very true of Deborah Granick's work as well and and others, but I, you know, uh, Leave No Trace and Winter's Bone were also movies that I thought a lot about. And I think that the artlessness or the seeming artlessness is part of what I'm drawn to in those movies um, that it just feels like someone had a really good cinematographer, right? Who like really knew where to put the camera. And yet, you know, one thing in, in The Rider, there's this beautifully handled thing where her, his mother is dead, right? And there's a scene that I love where he goes to the unemployment office and the woman who's meeting with him is clearly the real thing. And she yeah. says, you know, do you want to retrain for construction? And he says, no, it's only temporary because I, I intend to be back riding horses. It's very heartbreaking. And then you think she's going to say, well, whatever. But instead she says, well, you know, there's, you know, my cousin works at the grocery store and I think there's an opening and I'll get you in. And then... And literally, this is the whole scene. I'm basically doing it for random. And then he starts to, he says, thanks. And he starts to walk out and she goes, you look just like your mother. I was with her in high school. She was awesome. And it's really poignant and it's really uh, heartbreaking. And you suddenly understand his relationship with his dad and the protectiveness he has around his sister of this awesome mother who's lost. Well, so his real mother isn't dead. In real life, that guy's mother is alive when she's actually an extra in the movie. Okay. So, just for example, right? So then you're like, okay, well, wait a second, Chloe Zhao. Like, what are you doing actually, right? Because she is creating a narrative around that. And why should it matter that the character's mother is dead? Why did she stick that in there? It's very much like in Leave No Trace, which is another movie that I love, um, and a book from a book that I love, and quite different in some ways from the book. Yeah, and yeah. when I was editing my own movie... I was like, oh, I should have just written a movie like Leave No Trace, where it just is a straight story. It just starts, it unfolds. It's very, like, quiet and event-based. And then someone told me that they edited for, like, twice as long as I did, (laughs) that it had been in all these different forms, you know, that there had been different sort of characters as the main character, which blew my mind. But again, it's that I love movies where the art so disappears that you somehow are tricked, even though we know from movies, right? We're still tricked into thinking like, oh, it's this really natural thing where, you know, Deborah Granite, Kloja, they just pick up a camera and they point it at the right thing and they're in the right place at the right time and it just turns out amazing. That's something I just really like, love and admire because it's hard when you work in movies and when you, uh, when it's your profession, it is hard to, I feel like it raises the bar for what will sweep you away in a movie. Yeah. Yeah, and and I don't mean to say that the cinematography isn't unconsidered because the writer is a beautiful film. It's just um, there's there's an awareness. Watching it the second time, I realized like there's so much dust in it. There's just there's you know there's horsehair and there's and there's sand and dirt, but there's just there's texture to the space to the air mm-hmm. that that people move through. The people carry on them. It's just. It feels, and maybe that's part of the documentary feel, but you have to light that. You can't just capture it. It, it needs to be um, created in the frame. Mm-hmm. And so maybe that's what kept me from fully connecting the first time, the argument in my brain between real and not real, that 
and maybe it would have been it certainly would have been better if I didn't know going in. This is why I try to know as little as possible about movies going in, even to the point of not reading books worth an ad if I'm going to see an adaptation. I just want to be able to experience what's on the screen and, and see if that works. You know, right. like if you if you need a a lexicon of terms to understand the relationship between, you know, the house of this and the house of that. It's funny because I actually the first time I saw the writer when I was oblivious, it was because my my partner, who's also a screenwriter, had had like this random meeting with a producer who, we live in Los Angeles, and he was sent to meet in a general way with this producer who lived like out of town, and he drove out, and it was on this big ranch, and he met with her, and she was really smart, and she said, of course you've seen the rider, and he was like, no, and he came back, and he was like, I think it's about horses, because she's lived on a big horse farm, and we were like, oh, great. I was like, horse movies, love it, Black Stallion. You know, it's brought up on that. And we put it on, and we were like, what is this? I hadn't seen her first movie either. And we were just like, wait, wait, what is this? Like, you know, even the sister who's clearly on the spectrum, who's amazing in the movie. And so you started to question, like, is that scripted? Is Are they just capturing those moments? And again, in my sort of dissecting of the movie afterwards, I read that, that the sister who's actually his real sister, um would record her lines and play them back and like would walk around listening to them all the time and really learn them. And so again, it's cra- it's, it seems really artless and then it's, it's really captured. I mean, it's true of also the best performances in any movie, right? Is you, sure. you start to think that that person is just must kind of be like that because it can't be possible to really turn yourself into that. And, and I, I do think it's really interesting because that sense of skill, slight squeamishness when you're getting too close to that person's real life and it feels almost like therapy is when I like things best in movies, <laughs> in performances always, you know? Uncomfortable psychological realism. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Um, it's really interesting to think about it in that light. I mean, I also say, then going back to that movie after having a head injury of my own and there is something that feels like it must be real and therefore, I guess, possibly therapeutic or, or anti-therapeutic about his, Brady's wonder at his own body and at his own, I mean, that, that the, the actor is so um, watchable and alive and talented as a, as a you know, screen actor, whether or not that's what he's doing, he has the capacity that some of the best actors have to like, do nothing and be incredibly moving um and you know his he has his hand clenches it's like this ongoing thing is that his hand will clench and he can't undo it and and his relationship to his own hand really riveted me because I I sort of had that it's really different but I had it with my writing after I had my head injured where I would feel fine for some days and I would think like, oh, well, here I am working on my script or whatever. And then later I would read it and it would just be nonsense. <laughs> it's just totally insane. Or like like things that were notes to myself about how I would write a script. And then slowly I felt myself come back online. And it was, but that otherness to yourself is really captured to me in the writer. And, and also it's sort of, you know, resonates with the with his relationship with the horses, if that makes sense. That they're they're it's connecting to this wild animal that's totally other, but but you find the sort of threads to connect, and then it comes together. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a really good way to put it. It's about someone 
who is trying to break down perfection, right? I mean, these, these beautiful, beautiful organic machines, these horses that, that are, you know, there, there is nothing better at doing the thing a horse does than a horse <laughs> for, you know, to be really basic about yeah. it, but, but they are, they're, they're just fascinating. And, you know, you know, they're not as healthy as they're supposed to be. They're, they're very delicate, but when they're running, you just look at them and think there's like, that's the pinnacle of evolution. That's, yeah. that's what they're supposed to do. And of freedom, right? It's like exactly what you're saying. It's like he, what he's taking from them is the, just like the idol of freedom and wildness, you know? Um, and yet there's no, uh, there's no moral question around that in the movie. There's no, you know, that's one thing that is outside of the, outside of the world of the movie is to consider whether that's the right thing to do or not. That's not what is sort of brought into the, um, you know, the like symbolic language of the movie. Yeah, I would say Zhao's thing has always been to, I mean, I'm, I'm looking up my own review just because I remember that I, it took forever for me to figure out how to phrase it. So it's just easier for me to just quote myself. <laughs> um, but uh, it's about both both this and, and songs my brothers taught me are films that examine masculinity and self-image in the modern West. And they don't question the or rather the characters don't, the characters are led to question it, but the movie simply accepts that this is the way things are and lets us decide whether that's a good thing or not. And that's something I really respect about her is that she really doesn't, there's no scene where he says, oh, you know, I have to do this for for these reasons. And there's no scene where anyone else, his dad never really applies any pressure. His dad seems genuinely concerned. And, and it's not cruel that, Brady is forcing himself to do this, or it's not perceived as cruel by anybody else. People are sorry for him, but they also understand, they seem to understand that this is what he needs to do. There's that one wonderful male bonding scene where his friends take him out for the sort of first time since the injury, and they're sitting around the fire drinking, and then this one guy says, like, you've got to be careful. Too many people give up being a cowboy, and you've got to get back on the horse and not be scared. And you think, like, your first reaction is, well, he's really goading him, and this guy's an asshole. And then, like, minutes later, he's like, you know what, I'm going to say a prayer. And then he does his prayer in the night on the prairie. And you realize, like, he's actually trying to help his friend by saying that. It's not, he's not the antagonist. He's just expressing something that they all know and sort of supporting him. It's so interesting and complex and, like, Another thing I love about the story is that the characters don't act like characters because, you know, if you're writing a character, you would make that guy the bad guy. I mean, he would always be a dick, right? And he would... Sure, yeah. But but instead, and he is later, like he later with the sister, there's a moment or whatever, but he's not a bad guy. He's just expressing what they see. And and you're right that it, that her filmmaking sort of lives in that, in the moral world without bringing a judgment from outside, which... I mean, this is a Chinese woman making a movie in Sioux Lakota territory in South Dakota. Like, it, it, it really is a really interesting question of where is the perch of that point of view, you know? And I, I, I read an interview with her where she said, like, you know, I'm a person who sees, you know, depictions of people like me all the time on screen that just mean nothing to, you know, that are ridiculous. And so I'm very sensitive to wanting to be you know, to letting people portray themselves as they are. And, um, but again, it's like, there's a, you know, there's a, it's planting your flag in authenticity, 
but but then it's still art it's still artful and and that's what sort of fascinates me and and it does make you a little squeamish like it's like mm, is that okay like is it is that okay that she's in there making a movie well no one else is making a movie about these people right yeah, yeah. and and she is telling stories that are profound and and you know even this sort of second story that's couched in his story of lane his friend who's much even more badly injured who also hopes to ride again when that seems impossible oh and and brady has that scene where he goes and visits him possibly for the first time it's implied they haven't he hasn't been able to face him and is in that position of being the the booster being you know like it's going to be okay you're going to get back up on it and there's just there doesn't appear to be any possibility there. It's just it's, no, it's just and, him trying to pass along some positivity. Absolutely. And and he he brings the same means that scene that he does to the horses where he's super gentle and positive and he doesn't um he doesn't hold himself at a distance. He he just goes right up to his friend, he like hugs him, he's talking to him, even though the friend can't get his head around to look at him and um and and so again you ask, well is that raising questions about what about when he does this with the horses but then you realize no it's just part of that that his his way of approaching the world in some way it's really uh difficult to talk about even in, in the same way right it's like yeah, yeah. it's hard to know what um what to make of it almost and that was i mean my experience of watching the movie the first time was like what <laughs> I say, but just to randomly, but in Winter's Bone, uh, um, which I also love and which sort of blends, as I said, blends actors and non-actors um, together. Or maybe they're all non-actors, and Jennifer Lawrence just became a giant movie star. Yeah. Oh well, she no, she. This is the thing everybody forgets. She'd already done like a year of a sitcom. Oh when really? She did that movie. I yeah. I forget yeah. that. I know. Well, but it's, there's one scene where she goes to she's desperate for money and she goes to try to maybe sign up for the army because she's seen a recruiting poster that you get 40 grand and she has a scene with a guy who's so obviously not an actor he's obviously that guy and he just does his job with this actress and suddenly her acting looks totally fake in that scene where you know one minute ago like i've forgotten she was on anything before that she's so real but in the face of an actual real person doing his job he's so authentic that it, it just it just boggles the mind. And again, it's like at that point in that movie when I was watching it, I was like, what is happening right now? Like, how do you do that? How do you go? I would be too shy to go yeah. ask some recruiting guy to be in my movie. I like the system where the actors really want to be in the movie. <laughs> they want to be actors, you know? Um, so I'm in admiration, but it's not something I can... It's not something I could do, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, the level of trust that, that Zhao would have to have in these people that they can deliver, but also the level of trust they have in her. Um, you know, it's one thing to be to be leery of asking a non-actor to give you a performance. It's got to be even weirder for the non-actor to think he can do it, right? And And how do you direct someone in that situation to just be themselves? The worst advice I've ever been given when a camera's pointed at me is to just be myself because you instantly become like... <laughs> Self-conscious and twitchy. <laughs> um, yeah, it's really it's interesting though because because she knew Brady when she was making her first movie before his accident, and I I again I saw a panel that they did where he said that he saw how much trust she she built and gave in over the course of her first movie to that community, and and he thought you know if she can make that leap, then I can make 
the sleep. I that I actually did. I shouldn't have looked it up, but the other thing that's really beautifully done with the movie is the editing. It's just incredible and something that um, that I really again I really wonder how. I would love to know how that worked and whether they edited it in the way you would with the documentary where they were finding the sequences and, and you know, like even there's so many shots of the landscape that are so fundamental to your feeling in the movie and also shots of the horses. You know, it starts with this incredible close-up of a horse's eye with a fly sort of on it and it's really gripping and I, I you know, I want to know, like, Chloe, call me. Like, did you decide that that was the first shot in the movie? <laughs> um, when I shot my own movie, it was like, oh, my God, to shoot those shots, those shots that I love. Terrence Malick does it, too. Even in his first film, even in Badlands, you know, there's these incredible shots of, like, into the woods where you're just looking at trees, but you're so in the mood of the movie. You're, like, trying to see into the trees and see what's in there looking back. And, yeah, um, yeah. And you have to think of that when you're on set. It doesn't come easy. You know, you're always racing the clock and you're trying to get the scene under, you know, in the can. And you turning your camera around and pointing it into the trees doesn't necessarily come naturally to me. Um, so I'm always really fascinated by that artistry as well that looks so easy. It looks so obvious that you would shoot a beautiful sunset. But actually, in real life, you have to wait for the sunset. You have to roll on it and have it all ready. And you have to take that time out. Um, but from what I've read about the film, it sounds like she really did have, it was her and the cinematographer and, and, you know, that was pretty much it. So it's a kind of looseness that I really admire. Yeah. And the, again, it comes to trust, right? That they, that they know they can get, trust each other to understand what it is that she wants and that the shoot gets and the camera captures. Yeah. And somehow also in there, there's an aesthetic, like the formation of that is just so, it's, it's alchemical to me. Yeah. You know, I, I don't. I don't make the movies, I just receive them. And so my experience of these things when they arrive fully formed is just so, it can be so overwhelming. And I, well, maybe that's what this was too for me the first time. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because it, it, it is, there's something about, um, I mean, even as I've worked for many, many years as a writer and, I've, and a producer and I've been on set and I've, had, I've worked with many different directors, still doing it myself for the first time, what like being inside that role was different again from from everything I'd witnessed sure, and, yeah. and it was it was like another layer of that of like of like oh there's so much more that you have to um it's not think about but like let go of thinking and and be present for or be responsive to when you're when you're making a film and and then you then once again I go back to like how much uh, symbiosis there must have been between her and the cinematographer who also shot her first film and and um, and how well something has to be working intuitively to even capture those shots and and know when to get them and where to go and how long to wait for them and and the editor too and to and where to use them you know I, I so stand in awe of that movie <laughs> obviously Joe yeah well I'm glad you chose it it was one that I hadn't really ever thought I would revisit and then it was a really interesting opportunity because, because yeah I I had to put away my own they're not really prejudices but my own concerns and and just watch the characters the people be in a way that doesn't usually happen with 
dramatic narratives, right? I mean, you're always, we're, we're trained to look for developments and, and foreshadowing and hints. And this just yeah. doesn't, like, it just doesn't do that. It just lets you figure out what the connections are. And if you watch a lot of movies, you start to have a, uh, you can, you know, you can guess, right? Most movies you can kind of see ahead or my kids think it's really funny that I can like sometimes say the dialogue before they say it and they'll be like, mom, did you see this movie? It's like, no, I just knew that's what he was going to say. Or I know what the, I know that this, this thing is going to pay off or whatever. And, and whenever a movie really surprises me, I, I enjoy it so much more. Um, I, I had that also with American Honey, Andrea Arnold's movie, American Honey, where um, yes, yeah, yeah, where it felt like, whoa, I don't know what's going to happen. And also, did she just go out and find a bunch of teenagers and stick them in a bus? And I said to my cinematographer, I said, I was like, I just want that Andrea Arnold thing. Like, there's a specific scene that we were doing, and I said, I want to, I want it to feel like that. And he was like, whips at his phone, and he's like. It, they shot that movie in 54 days. <laughs> oh, right. That getting that looseness, getting that like, you know, feeling of improvisational, whatever, natural moment capture actually took like days and days and days and days and weeks and weeks of like working with the, you know, working with that group and bringing them together and getting them in the moment and, and sort of guiding them. And, and I think they shot that all at magic hour, like, uh, Shones Malik's movie, I'm blanking. Oh, Days of Heaven. Yeah, the, the, like Days of Heaven. I think that American Honey also did that, where they just waited for a period of the day and shot in that period, which, um, you mean, know. You so anyway, again, it looks it. really artless, that movie. It really surprised me. I didn't know where the story was going. It kept being beautiful. Everyone's so real and natural. And, you know, but Shia LaBeouf's been working for 20 years, right? Yeah. Um, but he just seemed to have wandered in to that movie in fully, um, fully foreign. No, it's, it's, um, when, when you, yeah, I'm trying to figure out how to say it. When you see a movie that doesn't, that doesn't seem to care about convention, it's always energizing and exciting. And sometimes it doesn't work. I mean, I, we, we've seen movies where they, they try a massive conceptual leap and it just doesn't pay off. But, um, yeah, Andrea, I mean, I'll trust Andrea Arnold to try just about anything at this point now. And, and, um, and Zhao, I, I have, I have no idea how this gets her a Marvel movie. That's the thing I'm wrestling with, that she's, <laughs> this is her, like her next film is an yeah, the Eternals, right? giant cosmic ass Marvel movie. Well, but here's what I think. I think again, I think that the Marvel people, my experience in Hollywood is that the people rate at the highest like levels really um and the people who are headed for the highest levels they understand that that artistry is something that you can't just learn in film school or pick up a book and that that sometimes intuition and aesthetic taste and being able to bury what you're doing so that it's super effective and you know, you win Cannes and the president loves it, but it still feels like somehow naturally done. Like it just like you gave birth to it. They understand that that takes something that all the other stuff can be supported, right? It's like, I, again, you know, I was, uh, I was as a first time director and having worked for many years, I was like, I don't know the names of all the lenses. Is that okay? And people were like, that's like the one thing that a whole bunch of people here on set totally know that. <laughs> <laughs> what you need to know is how are we telling the story and what's the story and and 
it's that's a it's a funny thing but whoever made that decision I think is really smart I mean we'll see it's like the Eternals probably has to be pretty conventional in some way but you know Avengers Endgame is like very unconventional in certain ways and the Russo brothers really know what they're doing when they when they mess with the conventions and they also make it look effortless so um yeah I'm 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 just fascinated by this second wave of or uh, I guess it's phase four for them of the of the hiring that they're doing, like Destin Daniel Cretton is making Shang Chi, and and um, Ned Benson wrote the Black Widow movie. He made the disappearance of Eleanor Rigby, which is my favorite American indie of the last decade, and somehow that gets him a Black Widow gig. But you know, I, as long as they're being paid, I don't honestly care. But it's so interesting to me that she would want to go do that. That's going to take yeah. years, right? It's like those movies take years, and they have such a different kind of stress. It's a different kind of work, and and um, you know, I just want to go do a movie with like my cinematographer and me and <laughs> three characters, you know? Sure. Yeah. I wonder if it isn't the opportunity to do something that is so completely radically different to play in somebody else's toy box and to be presumably supported. Cause it sounds like Marvel's really good at that. At, 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 you know, they get a lot of people to come and do things that they would otherwise never even get the chance to, to do on a scale that is, you know, terrifying. And for the most part, they turn out. Yeah, and I mean, they make them turn out, right? They take the resources again. It's like what part needs, you know, supporting and, and they make sure it works out. I, I do think it's just that like the drive to be seen more widely is like so deeply in, um, you know, in what we do is you want people then to see it. And, and so there's always this like playing off of how much you can do it the way you're seeing it and then how much you can get an audience for it, which, yeah. Yeah, and I assume that being the director of a Marvel movie helps you get your next smaller project made or just making the Eternals personal somehow because she could probably do that. I trust her. (laughs) I can't wait. I'm going to be there. I mean, I might not be in the theater. We'll see about that. Yeah, I'm still wrestling with that. But I'll be tuning in. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, as far as as your own work then, um, just because... That's where the podcast always ends up, and I'm fascinated by the possible answer here. Is there anything of the writer that you have used or borrowed or lifted outright and in, in put into your own work? Uh, I didn't see it in time, or I would have ah, okay. it all over the place. But um, I certainly will. I I uh, I, I think that um, you know I I my my movie my first movie that I directed. Is period. It's set in 1974, and it um, and that comes with a really large set of challenges, especially for a first-time director. But it it you know you can't just take a camera and point it down the street when every car has to be from 1974 or earlier, right? So um, more and more, I'm drawn to whatever I do next. I really want to be able to uh, live more in the moment as I'm making it. Um, I was able to, I had a great cast on American Woman, and so I lived in the moment that way. I tried to be really alive to what they were doing and, and work with the actors that way, but still it's like, oh, that was really cool. Let's try that again. Okay, reset all the cars <laughs> or whatever, right? It's like, you know, it, it, it was limiting in certain ways. It was fun in a bunch of ways, but it was limiting in certain ways that now I want to be free of those limits of the next thing I direct. And, and so I hold on to the writer and, and also American Honey and, and Leave No Trace. Those movies are like what I... That sort of social realism, um, 
that kind of uh, intensity of performance and just and and place is is what I want to do next. So. Yeah, and it kind of forces you to set yourself in the present moment in more than one way, right? You can, you'd have to shoot it in the here and now, and also like to be in it yourself, yeah. in the in the mindset of it to tell the story that way. Yeah, exactly. Would you consider working with non-actors in the same way? I, I would. I'm sort of too shy. Like, I, I, I mean, I would like to, actually. And especially, there's some older people that I think would be amazing in movies that... Um, that's the one that I'm always drawn to the idea of using some of the older people that I know and getting them in a movie before um, before they decide they're never going to do it. Um, so, I, I would. I would. I mean, I like actors. I, I, I also, you know, actors... The best actors have the quality that Brady or or his father that that they have in that movie, of just being so interesting and and deep and um, and I like to discover actors, you know, as well as use those that have more profiles. So, yeah, I would love to yeah. get a hold of someone like Jennifer Lawrence well, that, <laughs> as a teenager. There's there's something about girls that age too that where even if they're not actors they have learned to perform for the world in a way and if they have a certain amount of yeah. confidence they've also learned to like both perform and profoundly hold their own privacy and that's something I really love in film and I would love to work with a woman that age or girl that age yeah that's the what is it the performance of unselfconsciousness yeah. that weird contradiction yeah you see it you see it every now and then and it just it really is just like yeah, stunning. Yeah, Jodie Foster had that, you know. Like yeah, taxi driver Jodie Foster and Emma Stone had it yeah. in the beginning. I think just that instant natural liveliness. Yeah, exactly, and that sort of like there's something about there's something about the like unlearned even Meryl Streep who's obviously <laughs> Meryl Streep, but in Kramer versus Kramer when she was quite young and and starting out, she also had this really sort of natural privacy and public thing that was merged that I've always been really fascinated by. Um, yeah, that's the trick, isn't it? Figuring out how to fuse somebody's persona with their own personality and find the midpoint. Exactly. <sighs> exactly. And I know, especially in TV, which I mostly work in TV, and that's always a matter of bringing forward the real the real person in the actor, I think, because that's, you know, if you're going to go for seasons and seasons and seasons, you end up really needing to connect with something that's real in the actor, just the way that you work. Um, it's much harder to, I think, put on a suit, put on a character in television over time. Yeah. So. yeah. And that's the thing that always amazes me about halfway through the first season of anything where you can realize the writers are, re- are, are aiming for that synthesis because they've yeah. worked with the actor long enough to understand what they can do. And then you you see in the second season where everybody's fully formed on a really good show, it just it just snaps together that way. I, again, it's alchemy. It's something I don't understand, but I'm perfectly happy to watch. It's very much a fad, or fad, very much the way right now to complete all the writing of things that go on TV before you shoot them, mm-hmm. um, especially because orders are getting shorter and people don't want to shoot pilots. And 
you know, if there's big cast attached, it's better to like finish it and then, but I always, having started out in like network TV and, and, you know, back in, the, back in the day, yeah. but yeah. I always loved the thing where you started shooting after you had a few scripts and then you're like running to catch up, but you're also discovering the, the chemistry and the, and the actors that you've cast and you get to use them in the way you're talking about, which is less and less now in, in series television because of the way in anyway in cable television which is oh i can tell i'm absolutely aware of that watching a few of these new shows it's just like oh this was all done and locked before you got to know each other you can just sort of see you know people with chemistry that's unexpected and the whole the the, the example i always come back with is um is from community where donald glover and chevy chase were supposed to be the buddies and then the second he put glover and danny pudi together it's like no it's them it doesn't matter that it changes everything else about their dynamics i have to follow this wherever it leads yeah, it's, and it, it is, that's, I mean, in, in anything making it, you have that, I had it in a movie of discovering the cast as we shot, so, you know, it wasn't, I was sometimes rewriting the script, but it wasn't as much about the script as just, like, being, you know, knowing, going in, oh, here's some dynamics that I really want to find and use and, like, explore with the camera as as the cast sort of works together and gets to know each other and then, but then you, when you come to the editing room, you're, of course, you've shot it all out of order. Um, but it's still fun to make those discoveries and try to be alive to it. Again, it's another way of being present in the movie, I think. That, um, that's the funnest part of filmmaking. Too. Sure. Yeah. Even if you don't use it, you've, it's happened. You still have it Yeah. in the, in the toolbox. I think I'm very process-oriented in my writing and my work. Always, I'm like because so much of what you write doesn't get made as a screenwriter. I sure, sort of sure. trained myself to like love the discovery in it and, and, uh, and you know, even if it's not the outcome. My thanks to Semi Chalice, whose first feature, American Woman, is available now on digital and on demand. Thanks also to Kate Parks. She knows what she did. You can find Semi on Twitter at Semi Chalice, all one word, although she rarely tweets. And you can find the writer on Blu-ray and DVD from Sony Pictures Home Entertainment. It's also streaming on Amazon Prime Video in Canada and available on iTunes and Google Play. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com, where I'm hosting a bunch of podcasts these days. Check them out. And you can find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. Our theme song is by The Last Year. If you like it or the show in general, please say so. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you've been enjoying us. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network, including Jordan Heath Rawlings' The Big Story, which basically is my lifeline these days. Stay inside. Watch movies. Wear a mask if you go out. It's cool. Masks are cool. And come back Friday for another special episode featuring somebody affiliated with Mr. Jones. No spoilers, but um, it's a pretty big deal. I'll see you then.